our Lord Jesus Christ, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Make every great path straight. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at heart. Is at hand. In our last broadcast, uh, that was in the month of uh, uh, the first Wednesday of this month, I think that would have been December the 5th, we looked at, um, we concluded on the subject of suffering, which is another fundamental of the gospel. And the summary of it all is that we said that we should be prepared to suffer affliction, to suffer pain, to suffer de deprivation, and even death because of our belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and because of our being identified with him. Now, the Lord always told us, we noted that he always told the people that he called from the very beginning, ab initio, that if you are going to be identified with him, you must be prepared to suffer. You must be ready to suffer as a result of that identification with him. Because he said clearly that the servant is not greater than the master. If the people of the world had hated the master, then they will surely hate the servant. Whatever they've done to the master, they will do likewise to the servant. Indeed, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, Matthew 7, 13 to 14, the Lord Jesus made it clear about there are two paths. There are two pathways, the, the straight and narrow path and the broad way. The broad way, many people are on it. That road leads to destruction. The narrow path, the straight and narrow path is a, is a path that is constricted, is a path of holiness, is a path of righteousness, is a path of suffering. And there are very few people that you find there. And even for those few people, they had to locate that, that, that way. It is not open. It's not easily open. It's meant for people who are willing to go all the way with the Lord. Indeed, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, we also saw that the Lord Jesus said that those who face persecution for his name's sake are blessed. He says, when we face persecution of all sorts because of him, we should rejoice, we should not be sorrowful. Indeed, the Bible tells us, I think, in, in the book of Acts, the early stage of the book of Acts, when the disciples were arrested by the Sanhedrin and they were, they were whipped. The Bible says that they went rejoicing that, wow, we could be counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. And I think one of the, one of the crucial things that we noted um, in our last broadcast about suffering is that we must always have at the back of our minds that when we are suffering, the Lord is suffering along with us. We are not suffering alone. Whatever suffering we are going through, he's going through, he's going through it along with us. We looked at the example of um, Daniel chapter 3, the three Hebrew kids who were thrown into the fire by Nebuchadnezzar and how the Lord was the fourth man in the fire. We saw how when Paul when Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the Christians and the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you that I'm persecuting? I'm not persecuting you. He said, because you are persecuting Christians, it is me, me that you are persecuting. So every time you face any act of suffering, remember that it is the Lord who is actually going through that suffering along with you. Now, in our broadcast today, we want to discuss another fundamental, indeed a very major one. It is the subject of faith. So basically, what is faith? Now, there are some wrong notions that people have concerning faith. Now, some people say that faith is to believe something and it will manifest. So just believe anything and it will manifest. I mean, you, 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 I'm sure you probably have heard things like saying, believe it, confess it, and you have it. Now, 
that that is a wrong notion and i'm going to explain it uh, fully as we go along and then some for some other people they believe that faith is to imagine what they want and that because they're imagining what they want it will come to pass so they dream up something in fact we've had messages that say you just follow your dream you dream something and it will come to pass so they dream up things and it comes to pass that's not faith actually <laughs> that's something else now in, in in some other cases and this one is is very common they, they, it's and it's a wrong notion they say it is to believe in Jesus Christ, to be saved, to be delivered from hardship and to get into heaven. So their faith is just so that they can get out of anything that is hardship. They want to get out of suffering, for example, they, and they want to get to heaven. The, the, the issue is they don't want to go to hell and they don't want to suffer anything, but they want to get to heaven. Now, that those are wrong notions of uh, our faith. There are so many others that we wouldn't even have time to begin to go in, into them. But what is the proper concept or the right concept of faith in hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 i read it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen so faith is something we hope will occur that it will actually occur it is it is believing that what we don't see actually exists and it is not just saying these things on its own Faith is tied to God and his word. So when we talk of um, the substance of things hoped for, we are speaking of hoping that something which God says will occur, will occur. No matter how long it takes, no matter how impossible it may seem to be. This is the proper concept of faith. In um, Romans chapter... 4 Romans chapter 4 verse I'm going to read from verse 16 through to the end to the 25 uh, and it says therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed and not only to those who are of the law but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all as it is written I have made him a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which not exist as though they did. Please, just bear with me. Verse 18 says, "When uh, Who, that is Abraham now, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, who was at that time 90 years old. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So Abraham's Hope in God was based on what God told him rather than on the um, physiology of his body. Because based on the physiology of his body, there was no hope for him to have a child. He was 100 years old. The wife was uh, 10 years younger, 90 years old. And yet they had a child. Something that and she had never had a child before. So he believed in hope, against hope. He believed in God. Who does, who calls the things that do not exist 
out into existence. He speaks those things that do not exist into existence. He believed in hope against hope and he was fully convinced. You're, you're going to, you see, as we go along, you will discover that faith has to do with a full conviction or a full persuasion in our hearts regarding the word of God, regarding what God has said to us. In verse 22 says, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So, what the Bible is saying is that our hope in God is tied essentially to what he says to us concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He raised him up and got him, he raised him up who died for our sins. And if we believe that, our hope of eternal salvation is guaranteed. Then we, when we look at the issue of believing what we do not see, we, we, and we look at it in the context of God, we, we will see that Faith is believing what we don't see, but which God says exists. So if God says it exists, even though we don't see it, then we believe it. Which is why the Bible tells us, I think in 2 Corinthians, it says, uh, we walk not by, uh, we, we say for we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't walk by the things that we can see. We walk by what we are told by God. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're back to Hebrews chapter 11 now. Verse 3, the Bible says, By faith we understand that the walls were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith we understand that the world was made in seven uh, in six literal days. Why? Because God said so. We're not, we're not going to have science prove to us that God, that, that the world was created in six literal days. We know that, God, that, that uh, we, we believe it because God said it, not because science proved it. I, I, I find it a, a lot distasteful when people begin to want to use science to prove the word of God. No, the word of God is its own proof by itself. It does not need help from anyone. It does not need science to prove anything to anyone. It does not even need a miracle to prove the word of God. If anything at all, a miracle is just there to affirm what God has said, but it is not a proof of what God has said. In verse 6, the Bible says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we talk of faith as a matter of belief, we are speaking of uh believing that God exists and that whatever it is he has said is true, even though our experience may be different or may be contrary. The bottom line is you cannot talk of faith apart from God and his word. Any mention of faith that is not the result of God or that, 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 that does not have God as the basis and God's word is not faith. It's just a dream. It's just an imagination. In Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 18, Paul was writing concerning 
the Jewish people and how they had uh, set up their own standards rather than just following the word of God. So let me just read. And then it, it comes down to what faith, the, the basis of faith. So it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being, for they rather, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes Christ is the ultimate. The, the, the righteousness of the law is in Christ. And so by believing in Christ, we, are, we fulfill the righteous standards of the law by just believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 5, it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. That is Moses now. Righteousness by law. If you obey the law, you live by that. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. We're not talking of, you must see Christ. No. that's what It's not about, oh, bring Christ down and then we'll believe. Or dig him up from the, from the dead, then we'll believe. When we see that he has risen, we really will believe. But what does it say? It says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Faith is a combination. Faith that gives salvation is a combination of your conviction in your, the conviction in your heart and the confession of your mouth. If you believe something, you will declare it. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came and paid the price for your sins, and that you are a sinner, your confession of these things in agreement with the convictions in your heart is what will bring you salvation. No more, no less. For with the heart, verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And might I add, between rich and poor, between white and black, or yellow and green. It's not a matter of race. It's not a matter of what part of the world you are from. It's not a matter of what nation you belong to. It is All those things are irrelevant. Whosoever believes shall not be put to shame. In verse 12, it's, uh, verse Verse um, 12 again, it says, okay, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall definitely be saved if you call upon him. And you have to believe this. It's not just, you know, rubbishing it and then saying, I want to call upon God. No, if you believe it, then you will do it. In verse 14, it says, how then shall they call on him? in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How do you believe? How do you call on someone that you don't believe? That you don't believe in? And how do you believe in someone that you have not heard of? So you must have heard of him and you must have believed what you heard. And he says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? How do you hear without a preacher? This is the one of the biggest challenges 
of the nations or societies that have shut themselves up from the gospel. Some people within those nations, obviously working in cahoot with Satan, knowingly or unknowingly, have decided that they don't want the message of the gospel to come into their nation, to come into their communities, to come into their society, because they know that once the gospel is preached, people will begin to hear the truth. The gospel has the power to bring salvation to those who believe. People will believe and they will become saved. So to keep them from receiving the gospel, the, those nations are short to the gospel. But I know that through the prayers of many children of God, those nations are going to open up eventually. And many will yet hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, it says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Now you see another word there, obedience, being tied to believing or faith. The truth of the matter is that you cannot have faith and not obey God. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. In verse 17, which is where we're actually going to, it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There can be no faith apart from God and his word. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You cannot have faith by hearing the words of men. You cannot have faith by hearing the teachings of Harvard. You cannot have faith by hearing the philosophies of philosophers. You cannot have faith by hearing words that make sense, but they are not the words of God. You can't have faith. Faith is essentially about God and his word. And in verse 18, which is the final verse, says, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. That is, they have heard. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So people have heard. So what has happened? They have not yet appropriated what they have heard. They have not yet been fully convinced about what they have heard and then believe in it. So that brings us to discussing certain words that are used interchangeably with faith or phrases that are used interchangeably with faith or even that we could regard as synonyms. One of it is belief or believe in or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is faith. When we talk of believing in God, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing on Christ, we are talking of faith. You believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. You believe that Jesus Christ is who God says he is. For example, the disciples were with, three of the disciples were with the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And after the Transfiguration, a dark cloud came and they heard a voice. And the voice said to them, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And I think it's in Second Peter chapter 1 or so. Peter wrote and said, we, we did not believe fables because we heard that voice that told us, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So they believed in him. They believed on him. They trusted him, which is another word, another phrase for faith. To trust in, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust in God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with everything. And lean not, that word lean not, is another phrase. Lean not is another phrase that is saying, don't believe in. To lean on is to trust in. And lean not on your own understanding. So you cannot trust your understanding and have faith. No, you must trust in God and God alone with all your heart. Do not allow your understanding to interfere with your belief, with your trust in God. In verse 6 it says, In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Your paths. So to trust in God, that's another phrase for faith. When you put your trust in him, when you are, when you are putting everything on him, we're going to explain some of this later. The, the next thing, next, next phrase that explains faith or that synonymous faith is to be fully convinced in your heart about God and what he says. To be convinced deep within you about what God has said about himself and about his word and about any other thing in the world. For example, if God were to say to you that um, something will happen tomorrow, even if nothing else would suggest that it will happen, you must be fully convinced. You see, when you are fully convinced that what God has said is true, then it is true. For example, I give an example in second, I think it's in second Kings chapter seven, I believe it is. When Elisha, the prophet, there was a, a great famine that came as a result of a siege against the nation of Israel. And the famine was so severe that women were even killing their children and eating. And people were, people were buying the dung of doves to eat. It was that bad. And then one day, Elisha speaks up and says to the king, this is what the Lord says. By this time of tomorrow, food will be cheap in the market. I mean, who can believe such a thing? But he had said it. He was fully convinced that this is what God is saying. But the Bible says there was a man, a minister, upon whom the king leaned. That is, one that was a trusted aid to the king. You see that word lean now. That man who could have been regarded as a political guru, an eco a, 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 a world economist. You could regard him as an agriculturist or, 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 or a diplomat par excellence. One that you know, whatever he says, you can, you can depend on it. But he didn't understand that this is God's word. And that man began to pontificate and say, even if God were to open the windows of heaven, such a thing cannot happen. And yet it happened. And Paul and, 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 and Elijah rather told him, he said, indeed, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not taste of it with your mouth. And indeed, the man saw this miracle happen. And unfortunately, he was trampled under by others and he died and never partook of this blessing. So it is to be fully convinced about what God has said of himself or any circumstance. Another, another phrase is to depend on, to depend on God, to depend on the word of God as something that you need to, something that you can hold on to. You, you can latch on to, even if you are not holding on to anything, you are holding on to the, on, onto the word of God. You are depending on God, absolutely. Uh, uh, then the, the next one is to, to rely on or to lean on, like we said earlier. When you, when, if, if you, if you are tired and you want to rest on something, the first thing you would probably do, especially if it's a, if it's a plank or a stick or something, you probably uh, push it a little bit with your hand to see if it will withstand some slight weight of pushing. If it will not, of course, you will not lean on it. If it were a pillar, you wouldn't even try to push it. You just lean on it because you know it will carry your weight. So to rely on, we are saying, we are talking of a God 
that you can put all your weight on. You can lean everything of your, your entire being, everything about you, you can rest upon him. He is able to sustain you. He is able to carry you. He is able to withstand. He will not fall. You are not, your, your, your load that you are putting on him is not going to fall him down. The Bible says, I think in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe it's verse 7, it says, casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. So when we talk of faith, it is not necessarily to believe God for something we want. Rather, it is to be fully persuaded that God is who he says he is without equivocation. Whoever God says he is, we believe. I don't need science to prove to me what God says of himself. I don't need somebody else to prove to me of what God says about himself. I believe God about what he says of himself without equivocation whatsoever. There's no doubt in me. There's no questioning in me. I believe it holds hook, line, and sinker. Someone might say that has been dogmatic. Yes, I'd rather be dogmatic on what God says than on what any other person says. When we talk of faith, we are speaking of believing what God has said, even though what we are seeing or experiencing seems to be contrary to what God has said. You know, there are times when God will say some things to you. And when you, look, when you, when you hear what God is saying, and you see what is happening, you are most likely not going to believe God. There are several examples, but I, I just want to, uh, in Luke chapter 1, I'm not going to read all of it, just a few portions. The Bible gives us, Luke chapter 1, from, if you read from verse 1, it speaks about the issue of um, uh, the birth of John the Baptist and how John the Baptist was born. John the Baptist's father and mother were advanced in age. They, in fact, John the Baptist's mother was already confirmed barren by the people. And yet, she became pregnant. Indeed, when the angel was sent to tell John's father, who happened himself to be a priest, the Bible talks about, talks about him as a righteous man, an upright man, one who was right with God. The man doubted. He didn't believe it. His wife was a confirmed barren woman. If, if it were in today's society, they have gone to doctors, they have been everywhere. They have tried everything. And the doctors have said, look, what the, the, this thing that we've tried, even the worst barren person has conceived. So if it fails, sorry, madam, no hope for you. That's the kind of situation. And so when they were telling Zechariah that his wife would have a child, he, he didn't believe it. It was hard to believe because the situation that he was seeing was, contra was contrary to the word that he was hearing. The same thing happened. When the angel now went to Mary and told Mary that she was going to conceive and have a child. And Mary was wondering. Uh, let, let me just read that, that portion in verse 34. Luke chapter 1 verse 34. It says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? You need, you see, the, 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 the science tells us that you need a man to copulate with a woman to have a child. Now here an angel is talking to a virgin, a young lady who has never been married, never had sexual intercourse with anybody, that she was going to be pregnant and she was going to have a child. Who can believe such a thing? Who has believed such a report? But that was the word of God. And the angels, verse 35 says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is in the 
who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. In verse 37, the angel concludes, for with God, nothing will be impossible. With men, it can be impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. So that faith has to do with what God says, regardless of the circumstance you are faced with, regardless of what is happening in your life as at that time or may have happened in your life. It is what God says that matters, even though your experience may contradict what you are saying. And, and, and this has happened to a lot of people. If something has never happened before, we are not likely going to believe that it can happen. And that was what was happening in the case of Zechariah and Mary. It's never happened before. So who can believe such a thing? We, we, we thrive on experience. And that is part of the problem again when we talk of the matter of faith. If, for example, we have had an, an, an unpleasant experience, we are not likely to want to go through that experience another time because we've had a, a, an unpleasant experience. In Luke chapter 5, the Bible tells us the story of how um, the Lord Jesus Christ was pre preaching somewhere and he entered into the boat of Simon Peter and after he had preached, let, let me read from verse 4 now, of Luke chapter 5, from verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. The Lord Jesus told him to launch out into the deep and then throw his nets. And he began to recount his experience of that night. It was a troubling one. They had toiled and yet they caught nothing. And now the Lord is telling him to go back into that same place and cast his net. And it, it was a painful experience. He couldn't imagine going back. But he, now, but he made a statement. He said, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, and I want you to note that in verse 4, the Lord Jesus told him to let down his nets. In verse 5, he says, I will let down the net, one net. Whereas the Lord had told him to let down nets. Why? Because of that painful experience. He wasn't going to waste his time throwing so many nets when before they threw so many nets, they didn't catch any. So just look, let me just throw one. And they did. The Bible says in verse 6, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish that, and their net was breaking. If he had thrown more than one net, it would, would probably be able to contain what he had caught. But because of the earlier experience, he was unable to do that. So we find that a lot of us are unable to exercise faith when God is speaking to us because of a, an earlier bad experience, an earlier unpleasant experience that we have had. And so we, 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 our, our faith is wobbly, is shaky, is weak because of that experience. Now, faith must disregard, when a person has faith, he must disregard an earlier unpleasant experience. He must disregard the fact that no one has ever experienced this thing before. He must put all his trust in God and the word of God. When we talk of faith, we are talking of putting our trust in God for our salvation in eternity, regardless of our not possessing what the world regards as qualifications. Some people might regard certain things and say, well, if you are going to church, you are going to this particular church, then you will, you will go to heaven. 
That's not the, that's not the condition. It is what God says that matters. And we read that in, in, in Romans chapter 10. It says that if you believe in your heart, if you are convinced in your heart, and as a result of that conviction, you make a confession of what you are convinced in your heart about, you shall be saved. It has nothing to do with whether I'm going to church or not going to church or anything. It is what God has said. Some people think that unless they pay money to, to someone or give an offering or pay a tithe, they will not be saved. Those things, those tithe, giving and this or whatever it is they want to do has nothing to do with their salvation. Their salvation is guaranteed once they have a full conviction about the Lord Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world, being the Son of God, and they know that and they can confess it, they can make a declaration of what they believe in their heart. By the way, to make a declaration of something that you don't believe in your heart makes you a hypocrite. So we're not talking of hypocrites here. We're speaking of people who are men and women of integrity, who believe in their heart and they say it. God would rather have somebody who says, I don't believe in God and mean it. Then when God wants to convince and convict that person, it is easy. But for somebody to, to not believe in God and say, well, I believe. That fellow is a hypocrite. He's, he's, he's even fooling himself. It's better to say, I don't believe and say, Lord, if it is true that you exist as God, then give me the proof. That is better than to now come and fool yourself and, and say, well, you know, since they say I should say that, let me say this. No. So we must put our trust in God for our salvation. You trust him for your salvation. You don't trust the church. You don't trust the pastor. You don't trust your money. You don't trust your wealth. You trust God. You trust the word of God. What did God say? I see today many people going to different places, carrying all kinds of things, doing all kinds of things, and laying claim that they are looking for salvation. And when you ask them, have you received the Holy Spirit? They say they don't even know what, what is called the Holy Spirit. And they are being deceived. And they are going left, right, and center, carrying padlock, carrying corn, carrying all kinds of things. Being told to do A, do, being told to do B as a result, uh, uh, as, as a means of their salvation. No, that's not God. Salvation comes once you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that God raised him up from the dead, that he is your salvation, and that you are a sinner and that you need him to save you. You are saved. We trust God even at the pain of death. He didn't, we, we, we must trust him to the point that we know that he did not save us to come and do us harm. So even when I'm going through hardship, my trust is still in him. Job said, even though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. When you trust someone, it's relationship. When you trust someone, you trust him. Even when he says, I mean, for example, if you trust somebody and he says, close your eyes. I want to show you something. You don't. You will not be taking a peek. You, you will close your eyes and just allow him to show you whatever. And then when he says open your eyes, you open your eyes. And you say, oh, surprise, I'm surprised. Trust is based on relationship. We must understand that God loves us. For God, the God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can God love the world so much, love you so much? And ask Jesus Christ to come and pay the price for your sin. And then he will now turn around to do you hurt. For what reason? He loves you. So when you are facing hardship, you should know. The love of God should envelop you even in that hardship. And you know that God does not hate you. That God loves you. And that nothing, in, in fact, for example, when, when, when you face hardship, you should be able to say with every confidence in you that Satan cannot do me any harm because God saved my soul. There is a confidence that comes with faith. 
In fact, another, another synonym of faith is confidence. When we, when, when we trust God, we have a confidence about it. Sometimes it borders on as though we're boasting. But yes, our boast is in the Lord. When David faced Goliath, he, he had confidence in God. He, he was telling Goliath, you are coming with, you are coming at me, uh, uh, was it now, with, with, with your might and whatever, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. His boast, his confidence was in God. His trust was in God. Not in the stick he was carrying, not in the stone he was carrying, not in anything, but in God. That, whatever it was he was carrying was just a weapon that he should carry. But his trust was not in that weapon, but in God. We put our trust in the name of the Lord. Not in our capacity or in our abilities or anything, but in God. When we talk of faith, we are talking of our dependency on God for everything. Everything, not some things, but everything. You see, faith cannot be half-baked. Faith is either full or not, is, is an all or nothing game. You cannot have faith partially. You either have faith or you don't have it. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Verse 2 and 3, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and led you and fed you rather with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This is speaking about Israel in the wilderness. He said, God allowed you to suffer hunger. God humbled you. God allowed you to go through that desert. God allows you to go through the challenges of life that you are going through right now. Why? Because he wants you to depend on him. He, he, he's going to remove every other thing that you are depending on. That's why many people say they are suffering. Because what is happening is that the things that they are holding on to, God is removing those things and making sure that the only one they can hold on to is him and his word. So when we talk of faith, we are talking of your dependency on God and his word. So that when Satan came to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 and told him, to, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. He said, you, you, have you not heard? This does says this is the word of God that uh, he, 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 he quoted this. He said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You must live, you must depend on every word that is spoken from the mouth of God. This brings us to a major issue here, which we have discussed a priori. And that's the matter of hearing from God. You cannot depend on God if you cannot hear from God. So hearing from God is critical to depending on God. Faith in God is critical. Or rather, hearing from God is critical to exercising faith in God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you must be able to hear from God to be able to exercise and exhibit faith in God. So our depending on God has to do with depending on his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. So what did God do? He allowed them to suffer hunger. Then he gave them something that they never knew of. Something that was strange to them. And he said, I want you to know that your life, your life, your living is dependent on me and what I say to you. It's not dependent on bread. It's not dependent on any other thing. So a lot of times when we are expecting God to feed us in a particular way, to deal with us in a particular way, he brings a completely different way of doing that same thing. Why? Because he wants you to know that it is he who 
who is doing it. Not your methodology, not your understanding, not your intellect. That's why God can make you, God can, God can get you into business without your having to bring one cobble. Now that is not a doctrine to preach. It is something that God can do. He wants you to know that man lives by what he says and what he does, not by going to collect a loan here and there. Of course, if he says you collect a loan, that's a different case. But if not, he can do what he wants to do. There's nothing that is impossible with God. Note that. So again, when we talk of faith, we are talking of our conviction deep within our hearts about God, about his love for us, about his concern for us, and so on and so forth. This, these are the issues when we talk of faith. We, we, are, we, are, we are speaking of our believing in him, our believing on him. We are speaking about our, our trust in him. We are speaking about our conviction in him, our dependency on him, our reliance on him. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul was writing Timothy concerning the, the, the situation in, that he's faced with. In verse 12 he says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul says, I am fully convinced, I am fully persuaded that whatever it is, I hand over to God. He is more than able to keep it, to watch over it until the last day, until the day of eternity. So, in other words, I am fully convinced that the life that I have given to God, he is more than able to keep, he's more than able to, to, to superintend, to watch over it and bring me to him. I am not going to give my life to God and then go and take it back. I leave it in his hands. No matter what the situation is, no matter how bad the circumstances, a lot of times we face tough situations, serious situations, difficult situations, yet we surrender to God. Yet we submit our lives to him. Why? Because we are fully convinced, we are fully persuaded that he is able to do what he has said he will do. When we talk of faith, we are talking of relying on God and his word to take any decision or action. We don't take a decision just out of the blue, which is where prayer comes in. Prayer is not just to ask questions, or ask, or rather ask for something. No. Prayer is that communion, that time of communion with God, that time of discussion with God about what you are facing, what you are going through, some of the challenges you don't even know anything about. But as you are talking to God, God will begin to give you directions so that when you leave your house, you, he, will, he will lead you, he will direct you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not, rely not on your own understanding. You cannot trust yourself. If you are trusting God, you cannot trust yourself. If you are leaning on God, you cannot lean on yourself. You cannot trust in your certificates. You cannot trust in your experiences. You cannot trust in your strength, in your wealth, in your possessions. You cannot trust in anything except God. Therefore, if God does not say it, we don't do it. If God does not say it, we don't believe it. That's what it means to rely on God. So faith, very critical. If you say you're a Christian, that word by itself means that you're a person of faith. And if you're a person of faith, it means that you are someone who is listening to the word of God. Someone who is following the word of God. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus spoke about the, spoke about the sheep. He said, the sheep will hear the voice of the shepherd and they will follow him. He says, but the sheep 
will not follow a stranger because they do not know the voice of a stranger. So the sheep, the Christian, is trained to know the voice of God, to know the character of the voice of God, the nature of the voice of God, to understand the voice of God. Look, in, 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 in the normal world, based on what the Lord Jesus has told us, sheep cannot distinguish human faces, cannot distinguish human features. The only distinguish, distinguishing way, the, the only way they, they can distinguish between who their shepherd is and who is not a shepherd is the voice of the shepherd. They are so used to his voice that they know that this is their shepherd and they will follow him. They follow him based on this voice. In fact, I, I'm told that snakes are deaf. So when you see a snake charmer using the, the uh, pipe, the snake is not dancing to the tune that is coming out of the pipe. The snake is dancing to the movement of the pipe. The snake sees the, the movement of the pipe and is moving along with the movement of the pipe, not to the tune. But people who are not who do not understand will think that the snake is moving to the tune of the, or, 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 of the pipe. But the snake is deaf. So in a similar way, sheep cannot distinguish between one herder and the next herder. The only way they distinguish is the voice of the, of the herder. So God is saying here that you can distinguish by hearing me. So faith has to do with hearing God. And if you don't know how to distinguish the voice of God, how can you then exercise faith? So it is important. It is critical. And I think we discussed this earlier when we we're talking about hearing from God. That one of the crucial things is to get familiar with the word of God. Get into Bible reading on a daily basis. Read from Genesis to Revelation. Daily. Just be reading the Bible every day. Chapter after chapter. Don't be in a hurry to finish it, just be reading it. Sometimes it will take you years to read through the Bible from cover to cover. When you finish that, go over it again. Keep going, keep going until you are so familiar with the word of God that you know when God is speaking and when God is not speaking. And then, for, for us as Christians, we also have the Holy Spirit who tells us this is not the voice of God. This is the voice of God. So as we are following, when we, when we go somewhere and we're hearing the word of God, you will hear the Holy Spirit say to you, this is not the voice of God. Go away from this place. So if you are indeed the sheep of God, you will flee because it is a strange voice. You see, when, when, the, when the Lord Jesus was speaking about the shepherd and, this, and the stranger's voice, he was saying that the shepherd's voice is familiar, is known to the sheep. The voice of the stranger is strange. This, the stranger's voice is, is, is not familiar. To the sheep. So the sheep immediately run away because they sense danger. But we have a situation where people are flocking to places where the voice that is speaking is not even the voice of God. They're in grave danger and they don't know. Faith is the result of knowing the voice of God, the character of the voice of God, the things that God will ask you to do. What has breaking coconut or drinking coconut water got to do with the voice of God? What has taking assignment got to do with the voice of God? What has buying padlock? got to do with the voice of God. The voice of God is about the word of God. When we obey the word of God, we see it happen. And we must know what word we are obeying because it is God is not going to say anything today that is not documented in the written word of God, the Bible. If somebody comes to tell you that what God told me, you can't find it in any Bible because this is a special relationship I have with God. Run away from that fellow. That's a stranger. That's a very strange fellow. He, he wants to lead you astray, away from God. The shepherd leads you to the place of green pastures. Let me conclude at this time and say this, that faith always has God as the object and subject of our belief. 
of our trust, of our conviction, of our dependence, of our leaning on. Faith is not what we dream of. It's not something we just pick up. It is always, God is always the object and subject of faith. I can't dream of another object or subject and say I'm believing in this. No, it is God that I believe in. As a result of my faith in God, I now believe what God says in his word concerning a particular matter. And my belief is in that. A person who does not believe in God may actually exhibit some crude form of faith. But it is not faith in the Christian sense of the word. I give you an exa- I give you two examples quickly. When you take a plane flight, many people travel by air. Nobody asks questions about <clears throat> the status of the plane. Nobody knows who the pilot is. In fact, sometimes you have, you sit down there and they tell you the name of the pilot. They t- 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 call the names of the uh, air hosts or uh, hostesses or whatever. As soon as those names are mentioned, you forget. You don't even remember them. Yet you sit down in that aircraft. Like somebody said, there's no parking space in the air, and that aircraft is going some 30,000, 33,000 feet above, uh, above sea level. Nobody bothers to find out the, the, the status. We just trust it. Now, that's crude form of faith. That is not faith in the Christian sense. But if, for example, God were to say to you, I want you to travel by this airline. My faith is not in that airline, but it's in God who told me to travel by this airline. That's all. Even though that airline may have the worst safety record in the world, but because God told me to travel by it, I trust God. And that's it. And another crude form of faith, and this, this one is, 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 is even very serious. And maybe may sound funny, but it's very serious. And the question is, how do you know that your father is your father? How do you know that your father is your father? You were told. He's the man you met in the house. When growing up, that's the man you saw in the house. You, you don't know. It's who your mother says your father is. That's who, that's who you believe your father to be. So if somebody come, were to come to you tomorrow and say, that's not your father, you would, you would quarrel with that fellow. You would fight that fellow tooth and nail. Why? Because you believe what your mother told you. That's a crude form of faith. We are talking about the faith that comes from God. God who made you. God who made everything says to you, this is it. You must, the way you believe your mother, who said this is your father, you must believe God and better with God than your mother because your mother may actually be lying to you. But God doesn't tell lies. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is it the son of man that he should take back that which he has spoken. Has he said, will he not make it good? Has he spoken and will he not bring it to pass? Do you believe in God? If yes, then do you believe what he says? In his written word, the Bible. Do you actually believe in God? And if you do believe in God, do you believe what is written in the Bible? And if you say yes, then we must ask the question, why don't you believe in Jesus? Because in the Bible, it is documented that Jesus is the son of the living God. Why don't you believe in him? Why do you say you believe in God, but you don't believe in Jesus? Why do you say you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe in the Holy Spirit? They're all documented in the Bible. And if you say, I believe in Jesus, then I must ask you a question. Why don't you obey him? Because you see, you cannot lay claim to believing and not obey. You cannot lay claim to believing in God and not obey God. You cannot lay claim to believing in Jesus and not obey Jesus. It's not possible. If I believe someone, I'd obey him. I'd do what he asked me to do. I trust him. So I put everything in, 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 I put all upon him. I trust him with all my heart, with everything. Those who are married, they don't question their wives when the wife brings, a, brings a cooks and brings them in. They eat it. It is much later, and we've read, we've heard of situations where some wives have actually poisoned their husbands. Why? They trusted, they trusted the woman. The woman was evil, but here we're speaking of a God who is altogether righteous. There's no evil in God. There's no, not one iota. The Bible says there is no shadow of turning with him. There's not one spot of darkness in him. He is altogether light. That's who we are saying, put your trust in. When you trust God, you would obey him. 
So, for example, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Then we listen to Jesus because of what God has said. The Lord Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then we must believe him that he indeed is the way to the Father. He says, nobody cometh to, to the Father except by me. It's not by going to church. It's not by going to uh, a mosque or believing a creed. It's by coming to Jesus. That's the way to the Father. He said it in this word. And we believe it. We trust him. And we are saved. Praise God. You cannot believe in God. I reemphasize. You cannot believe in God and not obey him. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. To, to, to put faith and disobedience in the same sentence is a misnomer. It's an aberration. Disobedience to the word of God, not the word of a pastor, but the word of God, is an indicator of a lack of faith. The moment I hear God speak, he might be speaking through a pastor. Don't get me wrong. He might be speaking through a pastor actually, but it must be as part documented in the word of God. The moment I hear the word of God and I do not obey it, it is a, it is a mark that I lack faith in God. It is a mark that I do not trust God. It is a mark that I have no convictions in my heart concerning God. It is a mark that I am not depending on God. It is a mark that I rely not on God, that I'm not leaning on the word of God. That's what it is. Because if I did, I would obey God. I would do what he says I should do. This is, this is faith. This is the walking of faith in its, in its entirety. I leave you with this scripture as I, as I come to an end now. In 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? The NLT of that first verse is examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. We have spoken of suffering and we've discussed there that suffering is a, one of the ways by which our faith is proven. Examine yourselves. Examine yourself. Are you still in the faith? Are you trusting in God? Are you depending on God? Are you leaning on God? Are you convinced, fully convinced, fully persuaded in your heart of hearts? That what God has documented in the Bible is for you. And that if you live by it, that you shall surely live in eternity. The Bible says the just shall live by his faith. We're speaking of his faith in God. Not in men. Not in methods. Not in any other thing. It is critical that faith must be put in a proper perspective. If you say you are a Christian, then your faith, your dependency must be in God. Your trust must be in God. Your reliance must be on God. Your, 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 your convictions must be about God and his word. It cannot be any other way. And if indeed you want to walk with God by faith, then you must be hearing his word. Your ears must be sensitive to his voice. You must be able to distinguish between the voice of God and the voice of man or the voice of Satan or the voice of a dream, a careless dream somewhere. You must put your trust in God, absolutely. I want to leave you at this point by counseling you to surrender your life to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the avenue that he has made for man to come to him. And I know, based on his word, that your salvation is guaranteed. All you need is believe what God says about you, that you're a sinner. You were born in sin. You have the sin of Adam in you, and you have been sinning. And Jesus Christ was sent to come and take away your sins. And he died. That's the payment for sin. He died for your sins. And all God is saying is, if you believe that and you can confess it with your mouth, you shall be saved. And henceforth, 
you can begin to trust him for your salvation. Your, your, your trust in God for your salvation is a daily walk. It's not just at one time. From that time on, you begin to trust him every step of the way. Every step you take from then on is as God is going to lead you to what church you should go, what teachings you should go, how you should read the Bible, how you should understand the Bible. Those are the things that God will now bring your way. You rely on him. You depend on him. You ask him for every single thing, every single thing. You don't go to men except he says, go and meet this man. But you trust God. As you depend on him, he will direct your every step. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. The Lord will lead you. The Lord will guide you. The Lord will help you. The Lord will watch over you and he will take you by the hand and he will begin to say, walk in this way, walk in that way. The Bible says, when you get to crossroads, you will hear a voice saying to you, this is the way, walk in it. Then go ahead and walk in it. And until we meet again, God bless you. Keep on holding on to God. Keep on trusting in him and have a blessed day.